Good to see you this morning. I want to invite you to open your Bible this morning to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. Do not be ashamed to use the table of contents to get there. It is a smaller book, a well-known story that we will be looking at today. Before we go any further, I want to stop and I want us to have a, a time of prayer corporately um, as a body for one of our own members that right now is in ICU and in many ways is fighting for his life right now. And that is Fred Tombar. Many of you know the Tombars. Um, two of their children were actually scheduled to be baptized this morning. And um, there's just been this ongoing battle against infection that has now gotten into the blood. And so it's become very serious very quickly. And so I want us to stop. And part of our, our love for one another is demonstrated in prayer. And so will you pray with me, um, even if you're able to define your way to your knees this morning to go before the Father? Father, this morning we, we stop in this time of corporate worship to love one another in prayer and to trust you, Father, in prayer for one who belongs to this body, who is faithful in participation in one of our Bible study groups, um, whose children it is a delight to watch to grow in the faith, um, who loves his wife, Jilla, and we lift up Jilla to you this morning also as she is in the most vulnerable place she's ever been. Lord, we pray for your grace right now to meet Fred in the ICU and to allow, Father, beyond any of our understanding for the medicines, for the treatment, the work, but also, Lord, that if those things aren't working, that you and your power would intervene, Father, in a, in a different way that maybe would astound us all. But, Lord, we lift up Fred to you. We pray that you would by your grace, allow them to persevere in their faith in this moment of testing and trial. And also, Lord, that we would rise up in this moment as a church to love one another deeply as your word calls us to. So we commit this family to you. We thank you for each and every one of them. And Father, we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being a church that prays for one another. And one of the realities is that we, we, we have a, a newsletter every week that goes out on Friday that is a prayer newsletter. And it's just for that purpose of allowing us to be able to make intercession for one another. And so I hope that you'll use those sort of resources so that we can love one another deeply. Well, this morning as we turn to the book of Jonah and we begin to consider what this book of the Bible teaches us, I want to kind of set the stage by sharing a story of a lesser known missionary, a, a female named Mary Slusser. Mary Slusser was born in the early 1800s in Scotland and was everything that you would imagine from a Scottish girl. You know, she had the bright red hair. Um, in fact, when she ended up finally going to become a missionary to this region called Calabar, which is in southern Nigeria, modern day southern Nigeria, um, they, they thought that her head was on fire. Um, that's how brightly red her hair was. And so they fled in fear. They, they thought this was, you know, not a good person coming our way. And so over the years, she developed a relationship with the people. But as it was on most of the coastal areas of Africa, much of the mission work that was being done in that time was only going about two miles inland. So, I mean, it was staying right on the coast because there was a lot of fear about what lay inland, and for good reason. Um, there were animals that were not found in Europe, in Africa, you know, that, that were just dreaded and feared, things like lions. But Mary Slusser had the heart of a lion, and she wanted to get the gospel further inland. 
But this is one of those moments that I want us to learn from the story as is that it wasn't the people of Africa that were keeping her from coming in with that. It was actually the sending agency that had commissioned her and then sent her who then began to tap the brakes and just kind of ride the brakes saying, there's no way we're going inland. And there's no way that even though you want to go inland and reach unreached people who've never heard the gospel, there's no way we're going to let you do that. And so for years and years and years, she made constant effort to get the gospel to tribes and people groups that had never heard it before, knowing that it could very well mean her life, but she had already laid down her life. She had left everything to come and bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the ones that stood in the way at the moment thought they were doing what was best in the interest of Mary Slessor and of the whole mission enterprise. But then as history retells, right, when we pick up the biography today and we begin to read the story, we say, wow, they were really keeping the gospel from getting in because then once they finally gave Mary Slessor the green light, essentially saying, take your life if you must, people groups that they could have never imagined came to the gospel, tribal fighting that had been going on for generations ceased, schools were created, hospitals were created, churches were established. I mean, all of these things because of the obedience of just one lady. Now, you might think that the parallel that I'm about to carry is how Jonah was like Mary Slessor. But that's where we've got the story a little wrong. You see, Jonah was actually the sending agency that was saying, nope, not to them. We don't work with those people. We don't take that sort of risk. We just let them go on without the gospel. And so with maybe a little bit different perspective of the story of Jonah, from some of the ways that maybe we've grown up telling it and then retelling it to our children, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. And I'm not going to read all four chapters this morning. Instead, I want you to see something of God. Because often when we come to the story of Jonah, we focus on Jonah. This is a story about God. And so hear the Word of the Lord beginning in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The Word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up! Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. And then I want you to turn over to chapter three and I'm gonna read verses one through 10. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and they dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh, By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent, 
he may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions, that they turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster that he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Will you pray with me? Father, help us to see you. Help us to see that you are the one who is determined to bring grace to the ends of the earth. But that if we are not mindful, and if we are not united in obedience to your word, we will be like those, like Jonah and those who followed him in that same spirit of resisting the advance of your gospel and the advance of your kingdom to the ends of the earth, all the while thinking we are righteous. Lord, convict us today with your word. Unite us in the mission that you have declared. And do it in all such a way that you receive the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Now, as I read those sections, you probably thought, Chad, you skipped the good part. That's how we often think of the story of Jonah. It's him getting swallowed by a big fish and and then his crying out to God in chapter two and then being spit out on dry land. And then he does the right thing and he brings the the good news of, you know, of repentance, you know, like the need to repent. This, This message of impending destruction and judgment from God and the people turn from their wicked ways. And then we tie a bow on that story. The end. But the reality is that Jonah is just part of a story. This book carries his name, and obviously he's a very important character, but he's really just part of a much bigger story. In fact, let's go ahead and deal with a few of the bigger aspects of this story that I think might actually distract us from the majesty of God revealed in this small book of the Bible. First, I think we just need to be honest with ourselves that we have accepted the board book. You know, like you give a baby so they can chew on the pages and they don't disintegrate. We have adopted the board book edition of this story. That, that's what we've adopted as the church. We believe it. That's how we tell it. That's, that's all it is. And then we shelf it. The board book edition of this historical account features Jonah and Moby Dick. When your kids or your grandkids ask you, did this really happen? We quickly say, absolutely, God did it. But when your boss or your colleague or your respected friend or brother-in-law asks, you perhaps shift into talking about, well, you know, there's parables in the Bible and metaphors, figurative language. Now, please hear my heart. I'm not trying to shame us for struggling to believe this historical account. But I'm hopeful catching your attention by talking about this in terms of a board book helps you see that perhaps you have archived this mentally or cataloged it, if you will, as fiction rather than biography. That as you think about this story, you think that it's just something meant to teach morals. Well, Chad, are you actually saying you believe that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish for three days and then was spit out onto dry land? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, for as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the son of man 
will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. So the question, are you actually saying you believe that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish for three days and then spit out alive onto dry land? Is essentially asking me, are you saying that you actually believe that Jesus was swallowed by death and was in the tomb for three days and then rose to life again? Yes, I actually believe something greater than the survival story of Jonah. I believe in the resurrection story of Jesus, which makes the survival story of Jonah not that hard to believe. Second, we have accepted a moral edition of the story of Jonah. Here's how this moral understanding goes. We reduce Jonah into two parts. The first part, Jonah 1 and 2, Jonah is a bad example. Don't do what Jonah did. He ran from God. The second part, do what Jonah did. He listened to God, brought the good news, or brought, brought the message that he was to bring to the Ninevites, and they repented, and look how it all worked out. So we've got good exa- I mean, bad example at the beginning, and then good example, and that's what we believe the story of Jonah is all about. It's just about being able to follow the example of Jonah. But what if I told you as far as the historical account concerns Jonah, this is a story of bad example of Jonah and bad example of Jonah. Bad example, bad example. You see, Timothy Keller, who's a pastor in New York, captures this idea well in his sermons that were turned into a book entitled The Prodigal Prophet. And if the word prodigal sounds familiar, it's because that's the correlation that he draws. And I think it's well done. Keller wisely links the story of the prodigal son to the story of Jonah. You see, Jonah, in many ways, is both the rebellious son who ran away, who was experiencing his father's grace and provision, and then takes it and then squanders it. It's seen in Jonah 1 and 2, where Jonah is told to go, and then he runs away. And he goes out to sea, he gets thrown into the sea, gets swallowed by a fish. Chapter 2, he cries out to God. Into chapter 2, he gets spit out on dry land just like the son returned to the father. But then, just as we often misunderstood the story of the prodigal son, we misunderstand the second half of Jonah. Because see, in the parable that Jesus told, it was the merciless brother who stayed behind who ends up mad when his father shows this incredible grace, killing the fattened calf when this rebellious son returns and and then reinstates him and gives him his signet ring. In other words, you're back in the family and not as a second-class citizen, you're back as a son. And it's that other son who stays behind and does the right thing that is so angry and is the point of the story that God shows his amazing grace on whomever he will show it. And the reality for us is that we're being warned along with the Pharisees and religious leaders in Jesus' day that we need to be careful that when he pours out his grace on somebody that we not be the ones who say, not them. They're they're not clean enough. They're not good enough. They've got a lot of baggage. They've got a lot of issues. Do you know what they've done to us as Christians? And we say, not them. This is the story of the prodigal son ends 
with a question from the father to the son who stayed home, so does the book of Jonah end with a question from God to Jonah, a question meant to impact the hearer, you and I today, asking us afresh, do we long to see the mercy and grace of God poured out and heaped upon the worst sinners we can imagine? Let that question hit you. Are you wanting, is there anything in you that wants to see the grace of God, not the punishment of God, not the judgment of God, but the grace of God poured out on the worst that you can think of? For Jonah, the worst that he could think of was a Ninevite. You see, Nineveh was the great capital city of Assyria. And to really grasp an understanding of just how bad things were in Assyria, Timothy Keller goes on to write, Assyria was one of the cruelest and most violent empires of ancient times. Assyrian kings often recorded the results of their military victories, gloating of whole plains and fields littered with corpses and of cities burned to the ground. The emperor, Shalmaneser III, is well known for depicting torture, dismembering, and decapitations of enemies in grisly detail on large stone relief panels. After capturing enemies, the Assyrians would typically cut off the legs and one arm of those they had defeated, leaning learning, leaning on the other arm and hand so that they could shake, leaving on the other arm and hand so they could shake the victim's hand in mockery as he was dying. They forced friends and family members to parade with decapitated heads of their loved ones on elevated poles. They pulled out prisoners' tongues and stretched their bodies with ropes so that they could be flayed alive and their skins displayed on city walls. They burned adolescents alive. Those who survived the destruction of their cities were fated to endure cruel and violent forms of slavery. The Assyrians have been called a terrorist state. That's who we're talking about. You see, the, the VeggieTales edition of this doesn't quite capture just how bad things were in Assyria. For Jonah, as one who is identified in 1 Kings chapter 14 as prophesying the military expansion of God's people under King Jeroboam II, not only would the sin of Assyria, all of the things I just described, the way they treated people, their false gods that they worshiped, and all these things just have been abhorrent to him, but because he had been part of prophesying the military expansion of Israel, of their might, of their advancing kingdom, he hated them even more because they were a military threat. They were an enemy to be overthrown, not receiving mercy, not being rescued by God. You see, Jonah was a lot like the sons of thunder in Jesus's day who just wanted to call down fire from heaven and just blot out the Assyrians, especially this great city of Nineveh. That's the scene that we show up in as we get to the story of Jonah. And as we've already said, kind of dispelling some of the common ideas about Jonah, I want us instead to look to God. You see, the point of this was to lift rightly the eyes of the people to God, not to fixate on Jonah, not to just set Jonah up as a, an idol to worship of moral excellence or of courage or, or whatever, but instead for God's relentless grace to be on display. God's invading grace 
to be on display. For, for, for the gospel message of how God works best, of coming in and rather than just putting to death all of his enemies, puts to death his own son to give his enemies life and forgiveness. You see, that's God. That's the gospel. That's his grace at work. And it was on display hundreds of years before Jesus would come. And it's on display here in this book. And that's what I want us to see. And with our eyes less on Jonah and more on God, I want us to walk away with three observations about God this morning from the prophecy of Jonah. Number one, I want us to see this. It is God who sees the need of all nations for the grace he alone gives through the message of repentance and faith. It is God who sees the need of all nations for the grace he alone gives through the message of repentance and faith. God sees. God is concerned right now for wherever it is in the world, you would say are the most godless people. You see, you might be like Jonah, that it's your identification with military might that maybe whoever you would say is the greatest U.S. military enemy is the greatest enemy also to Christianity. To where you begin to identify your enemies based on who is an enemy to our nation of the United States of America. And so you can kind of identify them with Jonah and why he was so upset that the very worst enemy, pick a country like North Korea, that is opposed to America, that threatens regularly with nuclear warfare. And then to say that God is calling us to bring the good news of grace to North Korean, to, 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 to bring the good news of grace to the ruler of North Korea, not to see him dead, but to see him saved through this message of repentance and grace. Let me ask you, how does that land on you this morning? How does it land on you if I say, our mission is to bring the gospel to Afghanistan, to bring it to those who are part of ISIS? How does that begin to land on you? How does it land on you when you look and you see the current tensions with the country of China to say, we want to give our lives to sending our best to the country of China to make disciples of all nations? Do you say, we don't need to waste our best there? You see, if you can resonate with some of that tension and that struggle, then you're feeling Jonah's tension. But you're also feeling that tension that we just naturally, because of our sinful hearts, have with God. And we need to remember that his grace is greater than anything we really wrap our heads around. You see, we liken it to the grace that I feel, you know, this love for my child. My child didn't do anything to deserve it and all like that. No, that's too easy a grasp of grace. It's not until you have this grace like, like Elizabeth Elliot did to look into the eyes of the man that killed her husband and to bring the gospel to him and to live in his village, and to see his entire family come to God, that then you begin to see a portrait in humanity of the grace of God. You see, these people, these people, they're killing and murdering and all these things that are made in the image of God. Humanity belongs to him. There is no other God. There is no other creator. And so they're constantly profaning his name 
and his image bearers and those that are, exist for his glory. And yet God says to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh. We need to remember that it is God who sees the need of all nations for the grace that he alone gives through the message of repentance and faith. You see, this is important for us to remember because if we're not careful right now in a cultural moment, and every generation of the church goes through this, so we're not alone, this isn't new, but we begin to withdraw from a concern for the nations. There are things that happen, maybe we look and we say, wait, wait, there's more need here. And so we need to withdraw from there. We need to remember that it has been the constant track record of God to raise up individuals to then be sent out. And so we should expect the same in this congregation. And that we, like the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 13, will be a sending church. And that you may struggle with where people go. But it is God who sees them and God who says go. And so we go. Second, it is God who punishes and preserves his people when they resist the spread of his grace. See this, it is God who punishes and preserves his people when they resist the spread of his grace. This is good news for us today because we might be getting it wrong right now. Isn't it good, no, good news to know that just as God's word says in Hebrews chapter 12, that God disciplines the sons that he has, his children, because he loves them. Be because he wants to see better in them. He wants them to grow up into maturity. That he's not gonna give up. He's not gonna quit. And so even if we miss it and we receive punishment from our loving heavenly father because we say we don't care about the nations, we don't care about those heathen North Koreans or those heathen uh, uh, Afghanistans. You know, we, we, no, we don't care about those people. God says, I do. And I'm gonna bring you into a time of difficulty because you're resisting my instruction to go and make disciples of all nations. But in that moment of difficulty, God meets us. You see, the... The way we see it here is Jonah from the belly of the, wish, of the fish, he cries out and prays to God. I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for, for help from the deep inside Sheol my, and you heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the, hearts of the heart of the sea and the current overcame me and all your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more on your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to my neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head and I sank to the foundation of the mountains. The earth, earth's gates shut behind me forever. You raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading from you, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Don't miss it. Jonah's theology was right. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But his praxis, the way he was living, is salvation only belongs to Israel. Yeah, it comes from the Lord, but it's supposed to stay with us. And that has never been God's design. Blessed to be a blessing. Saved to proclaim a message of salvation. 
You see, Jonah was vomited out on the dry land, and then the word of the Lord came to him a second time. Isn't that good to know? That God is the God of second chances. That God in his grace, I mean, think about it. He could have just ended the story with swallowed by a big fish. Kind of a Jaws edition of, of Jonah. Gone. And that's it. And then God calls out somebody else to go to Nineveh. Okay, Jonah, you're out. God in his grace, and maybe that speaks right to you right now, that maybe there was a moment already in your life where you heard the word of the Lord and you resisted. God is the God of second chances. You see, the work that he began in you, he will complete it. He is faithful. He will do it. That's good news for us because we are a a mess. We are a work in progress. In our faith, personally, in our daily lives, sometimes we feel like it's one step forward and, and 20 steps back. But God is faithful. He will do it. And we see that on display in this moment. You see, God is also, at the same moment that God is unbelievably concerned about the Ninevites and wanting them, we see ultimately to turn from their wickedness and repent and turn to him in faith. He's concerned about Jonah. So much so that he causes him to be swallowed by this big fish, his life preserved, and then speaks to him again, rather than saying you are banished for all of existence. It is God who punishes and preserves his people when they resist the spread of his grace. God is committed to getting to the ends of the earth. Jesus made that clear, make disciples of all nations. And so, We need to be warned, church, that he has called us to go. Nineveh awaits. And there is a price to be paid if we don't. Third, it is God who delights to pour grace on the worst of humanity and those furthest from him. I love this because it reminds me as I look around And I'm honest with myself that there are groups of people, not only foreign nations, but even like within subcultures, within our own culture, that I would say are very far from God, very difficult to reach with the gospel. They don't want to hear it. Their hearts are closed and hard. And that's it. Almost to the point of saying, well, I I, I can't even expend any more energy on this. And what God's word says and makes so clear is that God is delighting in this moment, waiting to pour out his grace on the worst of humanity and those furthest from him. So the question kind of fell to me as I prepared for this sermon is, do I want that? Am I longing for the day of God's grace just washing through the streets of New Orleans? I mean, just being poured out like a, like a waterfall, like this mighty river just pouring through this city of God's grace, of, of gangs in different parts of our city that are destroying families and killing people left and right, killing one another over turf wars and, and, and drug deals and all of these things. Am I desiring to see those that so many would say, it's not worth your time. Lost cause. You can't help them once they're 
past the age of three. It's done. That's it. Am I longing to see God's grace poured out there? Am I longing, as we talk about the LGBTQ community, those who say the church has hurt us, church doesn't understand, church speaks in negative ways and these, these, these damning, judgmental ways, all of these things, we're, we're, we're done, we're far away, and we're gonna go headlong in changing legislation and policies and things like that so that then it's not just simply us who feel marginalized, we wanna marginalize you. Kind of a, a revenge tactic through legislation. Do you look upon those in the LGBT community and say, that's where, that's where God's grace is gonna be poured out in abundant measure and bring about healing and not just an identity that has to do with my sexual orientation, but an identity in Christ. An identity that doesn't change with my fleeting emotions and feelings, but that is substantial and solid under my feet that I can, I can be stable and know love and be free. Are we expecting his grace poured out there in that community, in that subculture? You see, our bar is too low because if you and I are honest, we're a lot like Jonah and where we wanna see God's grace poured out is here, right here in this room. And what we mean by that is we want our worship to be sweet. We want the music to be what we love. We wanna feel fed when we leave this place. And that's how we define in its entirety, the grace of God poured out is an awesome worship service once a week. That's what Jonah was thinking. I mean, even in his prayer, he's like, I'll look towards your holy temple. He didn't say, I'll look toward the great city of Nineveh. I'll look towards your holy temple. And please hear me. There will be sweetness of worship in this place. There will be a pouring out of his grace. There will be a feasting on his word. But only, only if God in his grace meets us in this place. And I want to ask you, why would he? Why would he, when like Jonah, he has said, go, make disciples of all nations. And we said, no. Now, if somebody asked me this week, I'll, I'll tell them. Why do we think then God would, in this moment, pour out his grace, fill us fresh, ready us to go? We're going nowhere. We're going away from where he said to go. We need to realize from the story of Jonah that God's amazing grace is on display and then it needs to bring us to these questions. What's harder to believe? You see, what's harder to believe? That God saved Jonah by being swallowed by a big fish or that God saved Nineveh through the preaching of one man calling them simply to repent of their wicked, evil ways. You see, we're just enamored with this man. He survived. This one guy got swallowed by a fish and we missed that hundreds of thousands of Ninevites who were far away from God, murdering left and right, burning children, filleting live people, all of these things, God pours out his grace on and they experience revival that makes them endure for like another several generations. 
I mean, like this, this moment of grace goes on for a while before the Assyrians are overthrown. And so it's important for us to see just like how big a moment this was of God's grace being poured out on a generation. But for you and me, we're more enamored with the story of Jonah than the story of God and his grace to the Ninevites. You see, what's harder to believe, that God saved Jonah through having him swallowed by a fish or that God saved you by sending his son to be swallowed by death for three days? You see, I think sometimes intellectually we're like, you know, it's easier to believe the God thing, the Jesus dying on the cross for my sins, being buried, resurrected. That's easier than a fish swallowing a man and him surviving for three days. And that calls into question, do we really believe the latter? Do we really believe that the Son of Man was truly dead and buried for our sins and then resurrected as defeating death? You see, what's harder to believe, that God could bring Jonah out alive after three days in the belly of a huge fish or that God could bring Jesus out of a tomb after being murdered on a cross and buried in a tomb for three days? This is where Jesus brings this because the people in his day demanded a sign and he said, none will be given them except the sign of Jonah. This this resurrection message, if they'll believe that, if they'll believe that, then they'll experience the same grace that the Ninevites did. And the Ninevites will rise up at at the end of the age with those who have believed this message of grace and will look on judgment will stand with God in that moment against those who said, I couldn't believe it. I wouldn't believe it. I rejected the grace of God. And notice in the story, it was one who was closest seemingly to God, Jonah, who was most at risk of missing it, not the Ninevites, not those who in his day he thought were farthest from God. You see, what you see, what we seem to easily believe, the gospel is what is most miraculous and what should be easiest to believe. The survival of Jonah is hardest to accept. You are not a simpleton, an unthinking, naive, or blind person to believe the historical account recorded in Jonah. Please don't let the board book editions of the historical biblical accounts erode a mindful acceptance of the truthfulness of these things. Ours is not a blind faith. For as John says, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and touched with our hands, the risen Jesus is proof of a rescued Jonah. And a rescued Jonah is proof that God can save you and me, not just in a crisis, but from death itself. So what? So what do we do now with this message? Well, are you like Jonah? Do you know God is compassionate, but inwardly despise the thought of him pouring out his mercy and grace on a group you can't stand? You see, right now, that that might be a political group. You could put it far left, far right. What is it? What's that political group that you despise and you can't stand? Do you want to see God's grace poured out on them? Not to judge them, but to save them and to bring them in a right relationship with themselves. Are you like Jonah? Do you know what you're supposed to be doing, but you aren't? Are you essentially asleep? You see, that's part of the feature of this biblical story is Jonah's asleep in the boat at a moment when he should have been repenting. 
Then hear the word of the Lord. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Are you like Jonah at a point of repentance and crying out for grace? Because that's where Jonah finally got during that first rebellion against God. Or are you like Jonah today at the very end of this story of witnessing God's grace right now in someone's life and refusing to rejoice with them? Refusing to celebrate what God has done. Instead, sitting under a tree, lamenting and saying, I knew you would do this. I knew you would be merciful and gracious to them. That's why I didn't want them to know. I didn't want him to know your grace because of what he did to me. I didn't want her to know your grace because of what she did to me. Then I say to you, hear the prophecy of Jonah. Bad example, bad example. But we know this. Jonah must have repented. Jonah must have survived because somebody had to tell the story of Jonah, of one who experienced grace, not once, not twice, but at least three times, to then be able to come back to the people that he had gone out from, the people who would have said, Jonah, you were the one that told the Ninevites? And to come and tell them, Here's how I messed up, but you've got to hear about God's grace. Today, we were going to include a time of testimony from Fred Tombar, testifying of God's grace in his own life, thanking you as a church family. Testimony is one of those gifts that God gives us to be able to bless and encourage one another. Not to brag, not to say, look at me, Many times, like Jonah, you see, this is a pretty disparaging story about Jonah. Jonah had to come pretty low to say, this is how off I was, how far I had gone, but listen to what God did. I encourage you, church, from the whole counsel of this prophecy, don't be afraid to share just how far you've gone off track and how gracious God has been to you. Because just as it was in the days of Jonah, God used that story to bring people back to hopefully have its effect on the people of God so God can use even your mistakes to put on display his amazing grace. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this morning of looking at your word and of looking at you and seeing you in your word. Now we confess that our eyes for so long have been trained to just look at Jonah and just to moralize this story, but instead we see you and your amazing grace, pouring out grace on Jonah, hard-headed, hard-hearted Jonah, and also pouring your grace out on this rebellious people that had hearts of stone, and how just through this proclaimed message of grace, repent, believe, an entire nation came to a place of repentance before you. So Father, may we witness that in our own life, but Lord, we wanna be like Jonah in this, that you would redeem every fallen, poor decision moment of our life to be another way that your grace is on display. 
So Lord, help us to encourage each other with those things as well. Not just the, the things we've done right, but also the ways that you have prevailed in grace. And Lord, I pray for the person right now that maybe if they're really honest, is far from you today. That this would be the day that they hear this truth. That if you will repent of your sin, being honest with God that you are a sinner and will ask Jesus to forgive you, he will. He will do it every time. So repent and look to Jesus. Ask him to take away your sin and give you life. And that today would be the day that your grace prevails. Father, thank you for these moments together. Be with us now as we worship you in song. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.